Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks FOSS. I'm the head of open source strategy, the Haas, here at Percona, Matt Yakovit. And today I'm joined by VJ and Prasad from AWS to talk to me about all the fun things happening in AWS land and about them personally. How are each of you today? I'm good. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, excellent, excellent. So nice to meet you today. And then I'm excited to talk about all the features that we're working on. And then uh, yeah. let's have a coffee together too. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. And, and Prasad, uh, you know, how, how are things at your end? That's awesome. And uh, excited to be here with you. Okay, excellent. So I am curious. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I have lots of different folks on the show. I've had folks from AWS. Um, I've had folks from the open source base, other database companies. And so, you know, and, and maybe I'll start with uh, you, Prasad. Uh, you know, how did you get started, like, you know, in the database space? I mean, like, what, what did that look like? Where did you begin your, your career here? And, and what got you interested specifically in databases themselves? Yeah, um, my career goes, uh, you know, uh, quite a number of years back. So I started as an application ERP CRM consultant. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, so I was mostly doing the front end application CRP, uh, ERP and CRM applications, uh, but it's always to do with data, right? So how do you uh, make sure the data is presented to customers in such a way, especially when you come to CRM applications, it's all about uh, presenting the data in a way it's easy for the customers to find, whether you are presenting to salespeople, whether you're presenting to marketing people, um, or whether you are presenting it to manufacturing people. Um, so I had that background, and then uh, I spent a number of years at IBM um, working in the database space, uh, you know, both on, uh, you know, RDBMS in terms of DB2 or in the big data portfolio of IBM. So um, had a number of years of background in that space uh, and you know, excited to be a part of the journey here at AWS with uh, RDS. So, it, it, you know, it's interesting. So I, I hear big data. Everybody has a little bit different mm -hmm. version of big data. IBM version of big data is probably very different than other people that I know, you know, version. Uh, Maybe define for us your definition of big data because it's 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 one of those things that everyone treats a little differently. Everyone says, you know, big data is a, a a little bit of a different thing. I'm I'm curious in your experience, what have you seen out there that is you know quote unquote big data? Is it just a lot of data or is it unstructured data? Like maybe give us a bit of insight into that. Great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to be precise, I was part of the um, Hadoop or journey at IBM. Ah, okay. Uh, 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 yeah, so um, if you uh, put on that uh, lens and look at the big data, it's everything that you mentioned, right? So it is structured data, unstructured data, streaming data, data addressed, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you call uh, NoSQL data, uh, any type of data, right? So data is data, are just files, but mm, you want to mix them all together. So. Uh, what I used to think about it is uh, having my background in, in um, CRM world. For example, I was with this company, I was an architect, um, you know, uh, trying to help the uh, support group, right? So when a customer calls, the support guys will look up uh, the accounts, 
Uh, at that time, it was great when I provided them a bird's eye view of the account. So customer A is calling, right? So what are the products they bought? What are the tickets they have raised with you? Uh, what are the opportunities that are pending? Like bringing this data together itself was so awesome at that point. Yeah, and and it's so critical for that now because everybody has so many disparate systems, right? It's it's no longer just a single database. Um, you know, when I started, I, I did Oracle. We had like the Oracle database in the back. Um, you know, it was the um, as opposed to the. You know, like many, uh, and then it then it eventually grew. But still, now it's. 20 different sources, 100 different sources, and they all have to come together at some point. Yeah, yeah, and then it uh, gradually, uh, you know, uh, improved to, hey, I'm going to add more richness to this data, so now I'm going to incorporate the weather data, the social media data, uh, etc. And then it started getting into the sentiments of the customer. And then like, for example, you have your insurance companies now, right? So uh -huh. yep. uh, multiple insurance companies, they all know your driving history. They all know how many tickets you've got. They all know what activities you are up to. And now their premium is based upon all those data. So these are all like richness of data that is coming from um, multiple sources, not just a single source. And and that's what big data enables you to put together um, information from uh, so many disparate sources. Yeah, and it's it's both great and frightening at the same time uh, because yeah. there is so much data out there. We've become digital pack rats a little bit where <laughs> everyone wants to keep everything regardless if they need it or not. They might not know why, but in the future they might see a reason. And that means that not only are we getting more data in more different places? We're getting bigger data, right? Like bigger, bigger systems, bigger, you know, uh, systems of record, which is uh, which is a challenge in and of itself. Um, you know, and, and, and VJ, I, I don't want to leave you off off of this conversation. Uh, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about your background. You know, right now you're you're working as a solution architect at AWS, but how did that come about? Where did you start? How did you get involved in databases? Oh, I started my database journey like 15 years ago and started with SQL Server. Okay. So being with SQL Server for a while, uh, around like 12 years with SQL Server. I've been with SQL Server version, a pretty old version 6, all the way up to the 12 versions, right? SQL Server 12 and 14. So that's how I started my journey and worked for various different customers uh, throughout this uh, SQL Server journey. I did a consulting work. I did like with uh, Southwest Airlines, I worked with, I worked with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, I worked with Verizon customers. I worked with multiple customers, right? That's how I started my journey. And then with AWS, I started my journey as a cloud support engineer. And then oh, because okay. of this unique experience that I have with all the uh, databases that I have, then I happened to uh, support uh, the SQL Server uh, at AWS. And then slowly transition myself with, if you know one relational database, you mostly know all the relational databases, all the technology behind the scenes are same. So you have a data file, log file, they work the same. So the features are different, the way you access is different, right? So slowly I started picking, learning uh, MySQL and Postgres open source engines at, uh, while I was working as a cloud support engineer. And then I, Immediately, I become a SME and MySQL. So I started enjoying MySQL open source database engines and then have both versions of MySQL and Postgres versions of open source I got exposed to and start loving them. So 
that's how I started and slowly transitioned into and solution architect and solving problems with the customers. Oh, very cool. And while there are similarities, you know, the, the difference between MySQL and uh, SQL Server, there, there are differences. And that's not always an easy journey uh, to, to, to make that transition because, you, you know, you scratch your head and you go, why did they do it this way? This just doesn't <laughs> seem right. You know, yes. like I'm kind of expecting this to work and it doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I, I, I get that journey. I started as an Oracle and SQL Server DBA and kind of transitioned into the open source 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. So it's been a while for me as well. But I, I do know that, you know, it, there does take some getting used to, and there, there is a learning curve. So, um, you know, so, so kudos to you for being able to pick that up and, and, and go that route. Now, what's really interesting is your journey through the customer space and working with customers, helping to resolve issues. And this is one of the favorite topics that I have with talking with, um, you know, the folks here at Percona, we have our own support staff consultants. Mm -hmm. I, I always like to hear about like, Hey, what, what are we seeing the customers, you know, struggling with? What are the topics that, you know, maybe we wish that we could educate customers on or help them with, um, whether it's new software or new tooling or just like, please don't do this thing anymore. Right. Like I, I, I say that a lot. Like I go out there and I, I beg them, I go, please, please, you know, pay attention to your, your data types, please, please don't, don't neglect these indexes. But, indexes don't exactly. but, but maybe if I get enough people to say similar things, they will listen. So uh, are, are there things that you're seeing in that customer space that are starting to evolve that are really important and critical that, um, you know, uh, either you're trying to address or, you know, you would like to tell people like, you know, hey, you might want to look into this thing or uh, avoid this this problem. Uh, my journey with uh, uh, AWS was it's a little different the way I see at the customers, right? So the customers uh, that I handled while I was working as a support engineer, Customers are pretty good. Uh, they know about databases. Some customers are learning, adopting because they don't want to deal with the databases. They want to be. They only want to concentrate on their business. So you have like different kind of customers, right? So whenever you have a customers who already know about the databases, right? Their challenges are totally different. They want to do something mm -hmm. scaling activities. They want to do something totally different. Some customers I see they are new to the database world and. They really don't want to handle those databases. They just want their business to run. So those kind of customers, you need to uh, educate them, right? You have to be patiently tell them, hey, there is a difference. I know you are dealing, but there are some things you need to still take care of. When you are creating tables, right? You need to take care of the data types that you are using or, or the indexes that you're creating. Don't just blindly create hundreds of indexes on a single table that is going to impact the performance as well. So I know it is going to improve, but it is also going to impact the performance. So these kind of things I normally used to see customers. So two different set of customers I have seen. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it, it's interesting having both of you on different backgrounds, right? So the big data space for Prasad and, and you for MySQL SQL Server. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Facebook's internals, but they have a lot of MySQL. They have a lot of, um, you know, relational systems. And I, I always thought, found it funny, the uh, the team there that manages these, you know, petabytes worth of relational databases because big data has been taken. They call themselves the small data team, even though it's petabytes of data, right? So they're like, we're part of the small data team, you know, but it's it's bigger than anybody else's systems out there. And I think that, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, VJ, that there's there's kind of two different customers and, and I've experienced this as well. Um, 
you know, there are those who are very keen and understanding of the database and they know exactly what they want. Um, and they, they tend to be able to handle most things on their own. So they're looking for, you know, the guidance, but they'll just go off and they'll, once you tell them, like point them in the right direction, they'll just go. But I find that where I think the biggest battleground for all of us in the database space going forward is really more on the, um, the, the other group, which is I'm so busy. I, got, I want to focus on developing my apps. Right? I don't want to worry about like, you know, uh, availability or I don't want to worry about performance. I don't want to worry about these things. I just want it to work. And, um, you know, a lot of times they make some mistakes in the design, which cause scalability issues later on. But this is where I think that there's a lot of tooling and automation and things that are out there that are starting to help try and overcome and, and cater to them. And that's one of the cool things about um, RDS and Aurora is it enables a lot of those folks who might not want to do that to get a basic to start and to kind of progress in the right way, right? So it gives them something that's easy to start with and then they can progress at their own pace and their own skill level and grow into that. And I know uh, both of you are going to be coming to Percona Live to talk about some of those new features, one of them being the multi-AZ. Um, and so, you know, those who aren't aware, um, you can do high availability, and you should if you have a you know application you care about uh, in Aurora RDS. Um, but what we're talking about here is the ability to have um, faster failover, better response time. It's a, a slight architectural change. So, um, Prasad, why don't you tell us a little bit about this change and what we're going to be uh, seeing within the system? Sure. Um, so, as you said, uh, we. We introduced a new option for our existing multi-AZ feature. So the current multi-AZ feature was called multi-AZ with a single standby. And the new deployment option that we introduced is called multi-AZ with two readable standby instances or multi-AZ DB cluster in short. Uh, so essentially, we are going from two instances to three instances uh, where the two standby instances are also going to be available for uh, read workloads. Um, so there are a couple of uh, differences here. Um, first one is in the multi-AC with a single standby, the standby instance is not available for any reads or any kind of application access. It's just there as a yeah, active passive standby mode. Um, in this newer option, you have two readable instances, as the name implies, they are available for read, so it's more of an active active mode. Uh, in addition, uh, we are providing two different cluster-level endpoints, right? So there's one endpoint for write workloads. You can put write and read workloads on that endpoint. The other endpoint is strictly for read workloads, where the two readable instances, standby instances, will be load balanced and will be serving the read workloads. Uh, so that provides uh, yeah, scalable uh, read capacity for the cluster as a whole. And, and BJ, with, with that type of a setup, um, you know, you, you've you've got applications, you know, and when you're migrating applications, sometimes that that read write split is difficult from an application perspective, because most applications do, they have a connection, and it either works or it doesn't. So, are there some best practices or some things like you know to to kind of enable that that read write split that makes sense here? Yeah, definitely. So as Prasad pointed out, right, whenever you create this multi-AZ cluster with two readable standbys, 
By default, uh, the RDS provides you two endpoints. In your application, you need to use these two endpoints. One is the cluster endpoint, which always points to the writer, right? In case of a failover, it is going to update that for you. And then you don't need to do any application changes at all if you use those cluster endpoints. And then if you have any workload that requires read activity, or then if you have like monthly reports or weekly reports, something, any other application that has this kind of activity, or your regular uh, OLTP workload with some read activity, then you need to use the second endpoint, which provides, which is the reader endpoint, which points to both the read replicas within that cluster. And then it distributes the workload between those two readers in a round robin fashion. So you don't need to do anything, right? You just need to use that endpoint and then way behind the scenes automatically distribute the load between both the reader instances. And then we will improve the read throughput, if you will, right? Behind the scenes, you can leverage the two reader instances. So all you need to do is just use in your application endpoint, make sure you use the, that reader endpoint for your reporting applications. And then now, as part of the first quarter discussion, right? I'm showing this as part of the demo, right? We are showing this demo, how I used in a containerized uh, application, how I use this uh, cluster endpoint, reader endpoint, and then how you distribute the load between those two reader instances. That's what we are showing as part of the uh, on live session. Awesome, awesome. Now I'm curious, uh, you know, one of the challenges and I don't know how you approached or solved this. Uh, one of the challenges with the read-write splitting in most applications or most databases is the possibility that the replicas get out of sync. Is that something that you've spent some time trying to resolve, or is it still a best practice if you have something that is very time-sensitive um, that you go to the, the primary? Um, yeah, Prasad, go ahead. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, uh... As you said, we have two cluster endpoints. One is the writer and the reader, and the reader is serving the read workloads. Uh, but replica lag is a more important concept in this setup because of a couple of reasons, right? So we have the reader endpoint, which is serving the read workloads, uh, but under the covers, it's also uh, committing or writing transactions that is coming from the primary to keep all the uh, instances in sync. So essentially, it is doing two types of activities while the right activity is hidden from the user. Uh, so this may cause replica lag at an, under certain circumstances, which we need to be aware of, and so need to distribute the load accordingly. So for example, uh, I'm having a lot of write transactions coming in, and at the same time, I'm trying to just overload the read replicas with tons of read workloads. Um, so the read replica is going to be totally occupied, all the resources are fully occupied serving those read workloads, and it may not have enough CPU cycles um, to update the transactions that are coming from the primary. So that can cause a uh, you know, replica lag. Uh, the other instances are, uh, I'm serving the other way around, right? I'm serving normal read workloads, but I'm having a huge volume of concurrent transactions coming in from the primary that's trying to occupy more time. Final use case is I'm trying to do huge volumes of DDL statements or you know, doing a massive uh, data upload into the primary. So all these could cause replica lags. It's important that we are aware of it. And in order to make sure that replica lag is within the tolerable limits, um, we have also added a 
a mechanism that you can use to control the replica lag between the primary and the secondary instances. Um, it is exposed, it's called flow control. Um, it is exposed in terms of uh, a parameter value that you can use to set uh, what's the maximum tolerable limit. And once you hit that limit, uh, this mechanism will kick in and starts going down the transactions into the primary uh, so the readers can catch up with the primary. Oh, excellent. Cool. Very cool. So um, I, I'm curious. Now we'll, we'll move on a little bit here. So I am a nerd. I like technical stuff. Um, I like to learn new technologies. So I, I'm curious, um, what sort of new things are you learning? I'll take your AWS hat off. Maybe it's something that you're excited about. I like to ask this question just because I like to learn myself. Sometimes people have some interesting technology I've never heard of, or they have some new thing that they're trying to implement or figure out. Um, you know, I, I can show you stuff that I've worked on recently, but uh, Vijay, you know, maybe tell me a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you're uh, interested in, that you're starting to learn, maybe get excited about, um, and then we'll, we'll go over to Prasad. Yeah, definitely. So as you know, I already started my journey as a SQL Server DBA and then slowly transitioned into MySQL. Now I'm learning Postgres, which is um, enjoying that Postgres. Uh, the, the Postgres documentation is really good. The product is really good. So every day I try to learn, read, do some experiments with Postgres and try to learn how these things work here. What are these? So many extensions here. What are, how are Lots these extensions? extensions. <laughs> yes. Lots of extensions. Yes. Yeah. What are these yes, extensions? Yes. Are? So learning about those extensions and all those things. With that, um, myself, it's an individual uh, interest learning about exploring about AML services, how they are, as we talked about uh, big data, right? So how these AML services helping these big data, how to analyze mm -hmm. this big data and all those kind of things. I kind of like try to write my own models to try to see how I can uh, mostly analyze all this data that, I'm, that I have and then how I can leverage these AML services in our relational databases and how I can bring value to this uh, relational database world. That's what I'm learning with. Excellent. Cool. And Prasad, what, what, what's going on? You know, what are you interested in? What, what can you recommend to me to start thinking about? So as we discussed earlier, I come from the uh, database and big data world, but uh, I am relatively new to AWS. And here I find we offer multiple databases, uh, you know, SQL Server, Postgres, Aurora, uh, Oracle, uh, MySQL, et cetera, so, forth, so on and so forth. And it's interesting to see uh, understand the choices that the customers make, you know, what are the nuances in which they are interested in, in, in choosing a specific database uh, for their applications. Uh, and the second uh, important aspect is uh, the scale uh, in which we need to operate, right? So we have tons of customers having so many different databases. Uh, they want them to be highly available and managed all the time. Uh, you know, how do you manage all that? Um, you know, is uh, another important. Yeah, 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 that I'm looking into. Oh, cool. Well, Vijay and Prasad, I want to thank you for coming on, chatting with me a little bit, helping me understand a little bit about both of you, talking a little bit about your Percona Live uh, talk, you know, sharing a little bit about what you're learning about, thinking about. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me today. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks, for, yeah. thanks for your time. Uh -huh. Yeah.
All right. Thank you very much. And for those uh, who are watching or listening, you know, go ahead and subscribe, like, follow us, and come to Prakota Live where you can hear from VJ and Prasad in person, which is always fun. It's 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 good to see people virtually, but it's better to be in person. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.